You know, you look a lot better from the front than you do from the back. You know, I, I had the hardest time last Sunday. I want you to know, it is not the same sitting at home and watching the back of Donovan's head. That's the only person I could see, Donovan. I'm sorry. When you sit right there, that's the only person you can see besides the person in the pulpit on the live stream. So if you want to be on TV, just sit right about there. And the camera will pick you up, and you can, be, you can be on that stream for all those thousands and thousands of people who are watching this morning. In all seriousness, I, I'm so glad I'm allowed out in public again. Thankfully, many, several contacted us, let us know you're interested, and I appreciate that. And others have, have had the virus and, of course, had it far worse than, than I did, I, you know, I Honestly, I'm very thankful I didn't have serious issues with it, and I'm, glad, I'm more, than, more than glad to be here and to be out in the public, to be with you and to share this time together. I know it is a very difficult thing, and it is not the same. If you've been at home and you've watched it, it is not nearly the same. There is something about being in the assembly that you can't get on a live stream. You cannot get that on a live stream what we have when we're together. Even with the masks, even with the separation, it is still far better to be here and all. And I'm thankful that we still can and we can be here. And I look forward and I pray that the day is coming where those who are watching can feel more comfortable to be here, that it's not feeling like we're at risk and so forth. And I long for those days. I appreciate the prayer that Dwayne offered in regard to... Uh, the ending of these things, and hopefully that is coming inside. And if we bear up and do well, we can. I don't like the damage that's being done to the church and the faith of people by uh, distancing us from the need to assemble. I believe over time, the not not assembling over time, we begin to be comfortable with not assembling, and after a while we don't miss it and we lose it. I hope that's not happening to many of you. I hope that's not happening to some of our loved ones who are watching, but it's something we need to be aware of and it's something that's going to be a challenge to us, I think, as the days go by, and especially as we begin to try to assemble better again without the, uh, the difficulties we have. I think it's going to be a challenge, and I, I uh, long and pray that our faith will be strong enough and we will be the people we need to be. Well, enough of that said. Let's get to the lesson at hand. There's a statement, a question I put out there. What did you think would happen? Sometimes you do things and somebody says, what did you think would happen? Well, in Matthew 11, as I alluded to a little while ago before the Lord's Supper, in Matthew 11, John the Baptist is imprisoned. He's going to be losing his head. He sends some of his disciples, a couple of his disciples go to Jesus, and they've got a question. Are you the one, or do we look for another? Jesus tells him, well, go back and tell John what you've seen. You know, the, the lame walk, the blind see, the gospel is preached to the poor. In other words, go tell him what's going on here. And as they go away, as they go away, Jesus offers them, the hearers that are still there, a thought. Verse 7 through 9 of, of Matthew 11, as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, 
Those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. I want to talk a little bit about perception. I want to talk about what we think is going to be because that affects what we're going to do. And that comes back to that question, what did you think was going to happen when you did this? And I, we've, we've faced that, we've asked it of ourselves, and it's been asked of us. But when has the future ever been, when has the future ever been exactly what we thought it was going to be? Hmm. In 1949, George Orwell put out a book. A noted book, 1984, he put out his book, 1949, and it was considered then to be kind of a science fiction or a science fictional account of the future world. It's amazing, a few of the things he, he kind of got right. But when the year 1984 arrived, there was a lot of notoriety about it, and we noted how that Orwell had missed the mark in so many areas, but had actually touched on some key issues of development in our time and our society. Those of you who were around in 1984, you know what I'm talking about. But as time continued, I think we have to admit that while his timeline was off, that the technology and the way things have evolved, pictures, some of the things that he could not yet see, but directed us in that in that thinking, in that, in that vein of mind. And our technology is far gone beyond, far beyond what Orwell would have imagined as he wrote his book and described Big Brother. Because you think about it today, when are we ever off camera? It's rare. Wherever you go, there are cameras. Wherever you go, somebody's got a phone out and a camera and a picture's being taken. And you think about some of the mass things that have happened immediately. They start trying to gather together the, the uh, videos and the pictures that people have taken of events. And there sometimes are thousands upon thousands of them. And they get the opportunity to gather them together to get a picture of things that are going on. And it's amazing. We don't even know it. You walk through a store and you're, you're on camera. You walk in front of an ATM and you're on camera. We, we see them all the time. And that's not just television. That's a certain amount of reality I think we know. And then in the end result, when we look at what we have done and maybe we face consequences for what we have done, there is a sound that rings in our ear that goes back to the question at hand today. Because it echoes there, it echoes there probably because a mother or a father stated it to us when we were children and we got into trouble and the mother or dad said, well, what did you think was going to happen? And you hated the sound of it, but there it was. And that's the way it was. But sometimes we just don't think. We don't think about what's going to happen. We don't consider the possibilities. There was a young man that uh, had been part of the youth group in a congregation where I worked when I was first, when I was still in school and when I was getting out of school. Young man, young boy, he was in that teen group, and he was a good kid. I liked him a lot, liked his family. He was a good kid. He and some of his high school friends decided to spend the day at the Illinois River, which a lot of us did over in the eastern part of the state. We'd go to the Illinois River and canoe and, and so forth and float the river and have a big time. And so along the way, as you know, if you've ever done that, there are some bluffs along the way. And sometimes 
young people will get up on those bluffs and they'll jump into the river or dive into the river. Well, he was one of them. He and his friends decided they were going to do that and they climbed up on the sides, on the banks, on the kind of bluffs along the river and decided to dive in. And some of his friends were diving in and he dove into the river, but he didn't check. He didn't check where he was diving and the rocky bottom of that river came up fast. It was not nearly as deep as he thought it was going to be. It wasn't a good place to dive into the river, and he didn't check. He went down, struck the bottom. His head lurched back, fractured his neck, damaged his spinal cord. He spent weeks and weeks in a hospital and in rehabilitation. He was fortunate in that he was able to walk again. He'll spend the rest of his life probably with a limp and with an arm that doesn't do everything that he wants it to do, but he was still mobile, still able to do most of what he wanted to, still wants to do, but wouldn't he have changed it? If he had just thought ahead, if they had checked the depth of the water, when you dive off of a bluff and you don't check the bottom, what in the world do you think's going to happen? I don't like to be harsh, and I wouldn't say that to him, but that's the reality, isn't it? In ignorance, we need to be asked, what did you think was going to happen? So as we face the things that we go into, there's a question. And as we question what we, we see in front of us or we're trying to do, there is an importance to consider that the lack of forethought and the prejudices and the preconceptions that may be in our lives are a big part of the actions that we undertake. And perhaps they are even a big part of why we see the Lord, as we do, for good or for bad. So back to the story we read in the beginning. If I can take you back to Jesus is there, the, those disciples of John have come and they've left. And now Jesus, turning to the crowds around about him, turns their attention to John. John has been a powerful prophet. He's been a powerful teacher. Throngs of people have come to him. Many have come to be baptized. Even religious leaders got caught up in the movement, if you will. They at least wanted the attention of people and to do that. And John even criticized some of them for it. But they had come to, out to see John. They'd come out to the river. They'd come out to the places that he would preach. They'd come out to the wilderness and stand there and listen to him speak as he would tell them and instruct them and give them things. And above all, he would proclaim the coming of the kingdom of the Lord. But Jesus asked the question, what did you go out to see? What were you expecting? What did you think was going to happen when you got there? What did you go out to see? Obviously, people were looking for something. They were looking for something. Think about their state of mind as they went out. They went out looking for something. I, they were wanting something from God. They wanted that kind of connection with God. They wanted something to, to tell them about God. They wanted somebody that represented God, to know that God is still there, to know that God still cares, to know that he hears their prayers, that he still answers their prayers. They wanted a connection, and they wanted that promise. And when he was preaching of that kingdom, they wanted that. They wanted to hear that. They wanted to know that. For they, when they went out, they wanted someone to point them to better days. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we look for? We look for somebody who's got a connection, somebody who's got a word, something, someone that's going to help us find those better days. Whether it's the preachers in the pulpit or the politicians in, that are filling the offices, 
We want somebody who's going to point us and say, there are better days ahead. We want to hear that doctor come on the television screen and say, there are better days ahead of us. But they didn't. They didn't want to go out and just see the typical religious leader. They didn't want to just go find what they already had, what they could see about them any day. For many of the religious leaders were, were pompous, were egotists. They liked those special places. They liked people to notice them. They liked them to come in and comment on the clothes they wore or how righteous they were in their behaviors. They, wanted, they, they knew these people and they wanted something other than seeing that. Those, were, those people were hung up on their own agendas and they loved the position, the money, and the power that it gave them. They loved those front seats in the synagogue. And John criticized them. And then Jesus, and consider the descriptions that Jesus makes of them. When you get to the 15th chapter of Matthew, he, he points out, said, they teach for commandments the doctrines of men. They, speaking of God, quoting from Isaiah, says, they, they honor me with their mouths, praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me when they teach their own ideas, the doctrines of men. He said they're like whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23. These are the guys, and there's real humor in the Bible. If you ever doubt it, the real humor in the Bible. These are the guys that strain out the gnats and swallow the old hairy camels. That's kind of a funny picture when you think about it. It's going to be hard to get that camel down in one swallow. But you know what he's saying. They, they're hung up on their ideas and they miss the best things out there. And people in general that went out. And when they went out to see John, these were not people that were really just trying to buck the system. These weren't rabble-rousers. These weren't, these weren't people that were bringing up protests. They weren't marching the streets with signs. These were just ordinary people. They didn't buck the system, but they longed. They longed for change, and they were looking for change, and they were looking to find someone who had that change. And when they listened to Jesus, for John had pointed them in that direction, when they listened to Jesus, he taught them as one having authority. It was powerful. Not like the scribes and the others that they had listened to. What did you go out to see? It's an important question. As they go out looking, there is perhaps a certain amount of perception and prejudice and desire involved. And when you think about perception and prejudice, they're often more powerful than any obvious truth. When we've got our minds set on something, it's hard to hear something that's different, that, no matter how true it may be. I love this quote. I love this quote, repeat a lie often enough and it becomes the truth. I was thinking of another one similar to that when the legend becomes, uh, anyway, print the legend. Anyway, but this is better. Repeat a lie often enough and it becomes the truth. That's the law of propaganda. It's often attributed to Nazi Joseph Goebbels. The psychologists say something like this and is known as the illusion, the illusion of truth. We love the illusion. So what do you want to see? What do you want to see in life? What do we go out to see? We go out to see we go out to see what makes us comfortable, what's familiar, what helps us feel good about ourselves and feel good about where we are. 
Consider how we vote for government leaders. What is it that motivates us and moves us to vote for the leaders that we vote for? And I'm not trying to get into politics. I'm just thinking, what moves our minds? Sometimes it's just our heritage. It's our background. Here's what grandpa and dad and so forth did along the way. It's our heritage. It's been handed down to us. Maybe it's because of our social conscience that we've developed in a certain way. Or the morals that we've developed in our lives. And we vote because that we have certain morals in certain ways. Or maybe it's by our pocketbook, our personal wealth, or our desires. Are simply for character on some of the main issues. We go in with an idea in mind is what I'm telling you. I'm not saying we're wrong. Don't misunderstand me. Don't go away and no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we have perceptions. We have ideas. We even have prejudices towards things that we want to be a certain way. And that begs us to come back then and question, what do we want to see? What do we want to see in God? What are we searching for in God? You see... It was not nearly as important what they went to see in John as Jesus asks his question. What did you go out to see? It's not nearly as important of what they wanted to see in John as if, as what they were looking for, not as if, but as what they were looking for when they were looking to God. What were they hoping to see in God? For I think, if you bear with me, Evidence shows that there were two extremes. Now, there's a lot of ground in between, but there were two extremes of what we want to see in God. Two extremes. One is we look for a God who will be the problem solver or basically just kind of wait in the wings, stand on the side until really need. In other words, God, I'm glad you're there, but you wait there until I need you. Sometimes people just want the problem solver God. He just stays out of the way for a while. Then there are those who want the helicopter God. I think there are religious people who, very religious people who want a helicopter God. They want God there all the time, want him hanging over because they want him to make everything good. God will take care of it. God will lead the way. God will point me. God will direct me. God will save me. God will be there. It's kind of like the part of the question that you're dealing with in the class last Thursday evening, you know, it's. What will God do in this, in this situation? I think there are people that want God. You know, if things go bad, then God didn't take care of it. If things are great, see, God's taking care of me all the way in everything that happens. I think those are the extremes, maybe. But it still comes back to the question. The question that, that you and I deal with, and a part of the reason that we're here that we're here and now. Part of the reason we're willing to come out and put on a mask and come into an assembly and, and so forth. Part of the reason that we, we want to sing the songs and pray the prayers. What did you come out here to see? You know, this is maybe not as much as it used to be, but this is kind of a religious time of the year. Thanksgiving and Christmas bring out a lot of religious thoughts in people's minds, you know, about how good God has been to us now. He's blessed us. And then, then of course, there are always, always the thoughts about the birth and the life of Jesus coming into the world that, that are brought out at this time of the year. But the question is not just that. It is about what 
What did you come out here to see? What are you looking to find? What are you looking to find in your life? And that leads us then to what did you see? What did you see? For maybe in the story, if we go back to this story, as Jesus asked, what did you go out to see? There's a reason for asking the question. What were you looking for when you went out there? What were you looking to find? They needed to examine themselves. And with that in mind, he said, did you go out to hear a prophet? Now, sometimes when we think about a prophet, we're thinking about the person with the crystal ball that's looking at the future and is sitting there, ooh, let me tell you something about it. Don't think about a prophet from that mystical, magical point of view. He went out to find somebody to instruct them. One who would come forth with God's word, that was the primary work of a prophet. To come forth with God's word. What did you go out to see? A prophet? What did you see? Even more than a prophet. This was prompted by that that question brought to Jesus in his reply. What did did he tell them? What did he tell them when, when they came, these disciples from John? What did he tell them? Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended, turned away because of me. What did you go to see when you went to see John? When they came to Jesus, what were you hoping to find when you found him there? And Jesus points most assuredly to the fact that John was special. In verse 11 of this very chapter, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen one greater than John. There's not a risen one greater than John. In other words, John is a unique, very special, very important person. I know there's more to the quote and there's more that's there and pointing out that those who are born into the kingdom have a very special place. But he said, when you went to see John, what did you see and what did you learn? What happened to you when you came to John? Did you just fulfill some empty place in your life? Or did, did you find something truly life-affirming and life-changing? What did you see? And when you came to me, these disciples, what did you see? And it was all a testimony of who they were. But even more than that, it's a testimony of God's work. But our perception is not, it will often stand in the way. Our perception will stand in the way because things are not always as we think or perceive they will be. Think about it. A cat may seem to be small, but never try to baptize a cat. I don't care how small they are. It's hard to baptize a cat. I'm not saying I know that from experience, which I do. And the iodine on your back when the cat gets loose is not pleasant either, but never try to baptize a cat. A kid may think, oh, this would be fun. It's not fun. 
And over the years, we, we get certain ideas in mind. We get in modes and we start flowing. And I think about sometimes some of the people that I've, I've been fortunate enough to be into the water with them and baptize, actually be the person in the water baptizing them. And sometimes you don't find out that someone is afraid of water until you actually get them in the baptistry. And what do you do with a guy, a guy, when you get him into the water and he's nearly as big as you are, and you get him into the water and you're ready to baptize him in the traditional, you know, we dip him down typically, and you put your hand over their mouth and suddenly they leap up on you like this. What do you do? Well, in that case, you both get baptized. That's exactly what you do in that case. But things are not always as you perceive they're going to be. Interesting things happen. The responses of people are unique and special. Things are not always as we think they will be. I mean, take for, maybe, maybe not the best place to take it, but uh, the most passive person in the world may be a maniac behind the wheel of a car. You know, you get, you get, a, you get several feet of, of Detroit steel around you or, or aluminum or whatever it is and plastic today. You think you're invincible. I always think about the way my grandmother drove. I think she could barely work a car around the corner, but once she got around the corner, she didn't know that that gas pedal didn't have to be put to the floor. <laughs> Things are not always as we perceive. We look at them, we judge them ahead of time. But the point is this. The point is this. Because the question is, what can you see if you are willing? You know, what did you go out to see? But what can you see? If you're willing to see it, what can you see? When you look at God, when you look at his son, when you look at the church, when you look at his word, what can you see? If you are willing to see it, what can you see? You're going to see caring love. You're going to see it among the people. You're going to see it in the word. You're going to see it from God. You're going to see what Jesus did and the love that was there. And you're going to find caring love among people if you're willing to see it and willing to draw from it. We're going to see people needing healing being healed. And you're going to see opportunity. You're going to see that the message is not just to a few. The Jews were so used to their, their message belonging to them and to no one else. And the only way you could get in on it is you had became a, a convert to Judaism. You had to become a convert, a proselyte, they call it, and be brought in. And then you had to pay a lot of money and go through all kinds of things. And the gospel just says it's for everyone. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Even to those disciples in those final moments before his ascension. Witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? The world. To everyone. It is an opportunity. The gospel is preached to all young and old. Rich and poor, educated and ignorant. Opportunity, the gospel is preached. What can you see if you're willing? It's not selective in the sense that it picks out and only certain ones can have it. And it is a message worth sharing. When Jesus sent those disciples back to John, he says, go tell them what you've seen. He didn't say, here, here's what you tell them. Now tell them we did this, tell them we did that, tell them we did that. Now that's, that's it. Now don't, don't tell everything. You know how secretive we are. We don't want everything out there. Jesus said, go tell them what you've seen. 
Go tell them what's here. A message worth sharing. There's nothing there to hide, nothing which to be deterred or, or, or anything like that, nothing to be held back, nothing. For it is a message worth sharing to anyone whose ears were willing to hear it. What can you see if you're willing to see? Caring love, great opportunity, and a message that's for all and great, great to be shared wherever it is. You know, it's not a wonder it's not a wonder that two of the biggest, two of the biggest religious notices of the year come in December and usually in April, March to April with Easter, Christmas and Easter, because people love the message. People love the message of a God who loves and provides an opportunity for all, and people are willing to share that message. You know what I mean. What can you see if you're willing to see all three of those things? So as I wrap it up, we hear the phrase from time to time that simply says, live in the moment. While we may rob the joy of life by dismissing anything that is not according to our preconceived plan if we do that. I think it is also not necessary to discard the plan. For as Jesus called on John's disciples to see, to hear, and to adapt with the plan, he says, go tell John what you see, for it is worth telling, it's worth seeing. It's worth knowing. What did you think was going to happen? In the end, that doesn't matter. What you did see, that really matters. This morning we are going to sing that song of encouragement. Let it be a song of invitation. Let it be a song of opportunity. If there is someone who needs to respond, we pray that you will do so. If you need to respond publicly this morning, whatever your need is, we'll gladly assist you at this very hour. If you need to come today, let this be your day of beginning and come while we stand, while we sing together.